Hey, this is BT Wolf, and you're listening to Orange Juice for the Ears on Dub Lab. And today I'm joined by one of my most favorite human beings, director, photographer, editor, Ross Harris, whose rare touch when it comes to capturing people and their stories is at the same time both incredibly gentle but incredibly potent. So Ross shot Elliot Smith's first solo music video for Coming Up Roses, as well as Plain Clothes Man and the Oscar-nominated Miss Misery. He toured, recorded, and art directed with Beck and shone the light on many young artists such as Aloe Black, Anderson Pack, amongst many others. While also being described as the secret weapon for Stone's Throw, in addition to all this, his focus on some of California's unlikely heroes is what really sets him apart, as there couldn't be any more heart in what Ross does. And that is something you can really see from Ross's work. It's like he distills a person's essence. So, Ross, hello. So wonderful to have you. Um, and, you know, we, we just heard Coming Up Roses, Elliot Smith. Um, that was his first solo music video, is that correct? Um, it was definitely one of the first, and it was the first time that I'd met Elliot. I actually met him at the airport. I picked him up and I brought him directly to my house and we started making the music video. But he didn't want to come to LA. No, that's, um... That's kind of how I, I got him into to, um, working on the video with me, is I didn't send him a treatment, which is what you usually do with uh, an artist, as you said, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to do that, there's going to be explosions, there's going to be, you know, a ghost and things like that. I just actually called him and I said, uh, I don't live in Los Angeles, I live about an hour north of Los Angeles, so I can pick you up at LAX and take you directly out of Los Angeles and you won't have to go back there again until... Um, until we leave because at the time back then in the 90s uh, LA was kind of synonymous with like uh, corporate sellout guns and uh, roses guns and roses <laughs> and hair metal and and not that uh, you know Elliot actually he was actually a big metal fan and stuff like that but it just was kind of like the Pacific Northwest was definitely had kind of a you know their own independent streak of we're doing our own things up here and we don't need to go to LA to to be to do our art and um uh i was able to coax him by saying like i am north of los angeles <laughs> just an hour north but it makes a difference but um eventually he ended up uh moving down here and uh he ended up being uh a big part of the music scene down here he embraced los angeles so what was what was one of the most fun things about making that video um just that elliot um, came to to live with uh, my family and I, and I had a little trailer. Actually, I still do a uh, little house trailer um, uh, in the yard next to my house, and he just came and and stayed in the trailer. And uh, we took our time. We, you know, some days I think he was with us for about a week, and you know, maybe a couple days we didn't film anything at all. We played basketball. And was he good at basketball? He's really good at basketball. He was very good at basketball. And, uh, yeah, he had a good three-point shot. 
So the the subject of this show is sort of thinking about music and um, how, you know, of course it's something we all enjoy, but it also works on all these le- levels that we're not even necessarily that aware of. Um, it's taken from a Oliver Sacks quote about the power of music, um, which is, music can lift us out of depression or move us to tears. It is a remedy, a tonic, an orange juice for the ear. And I'd just like to, you know, see if there was an example of that in your life, like a something that really, um, you know, informed what you do in that respect. Well, yeah, I mean, music's always been really uh, a big part of my work. I actually tried to get away from it. I, I left music for a while um, after Elliot passed and a couple kind of really, uh, really uh, um, uh, traumatic things happened right around Elliot's passing that, that kind of pushed me away from the music industry, so to speak. And I, I, I tried to leave it. I went and tried to get a, what a quote unquote normal job. And I, I ended up in like... Uh, uh, packing boxes, shipping and receiving and doing some stuff like that. And it just, I don't know, I couldn't stay away. <laughs> it's just music's just too powerful. And, and it just, I, I feel like, um, you know, the good people have to have to stay in it and, and keep a hand in it because it just, it just speaks, you know, so deeply in, in people's lives and, and it can be good and it can be bad. And, and the people that want to push it towards those positive places, uh, you know, have to keep up the fight. Well, and I feel like everything that you do, um, if people listening haven't seen what Ross Harris makes, you need to check it out because it's incredible. And I think that that humility and that sense of just capturing someone's story or someone's spirit um, in a really down-to-earth, real way that's both kind of playful but also sincere. Uh, you know, I think that's so rare and I think that's why it's so amazing that, you know, whatever, whether it's like music videos or feature videos or ph- photography or you've also had a career in acting and music yourself. It's like 10 careers in one, but I feel like you have to keep on making stuff because it's incredible. Um, and I'm, I feel super lucky because having sort of been a fan of your work um, and yeah, particularly the stuff you did with Elliot, because he, for me, is my number one favorite artist. It's, it was kind of terrible because when I was giving my orange juice for the years, I was like, he has to be in here, but he's sort of in in all of it in some ways. Um, so, you know, now we're working together on on Orange Juice for the Years, which is the film for the Barbican, which you're um, directing and making and which comes out in October. And um, that I'm super excited about that. So, yeah, I'm excited about it too. Well, I'm I, I'm really honored that you would ask me to to be involved in it and then I'm I just have to pinch myself like just listening to Elliot's song right now just to be associated with that song or with that artist in any way and to you know to be able to say that I I had any hand in 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 you know the artistic 
excellence of, of his work is just like, it just blows my mind. And to be able to say that I actually was friends with them too is just like, I mean, that's, I can retire right there. <laughs> I'm not going to because I still have some time left, but like, you know, that's, you know, hang it up. We, we'll talk about Miss Misery. Um, and there was also the one you did for Heat Miser, which is awesome, Plain Clothes Man. Um, we'll, we'll sort of bring those in later, but because this is your orange juice for the years, Ross. Right, it's about yeah, me. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Want to find out like what what was the first song that you remember imprinting on you? Well, it's interesting because um, what I really I've been listening to the show and and what's really uh, was really fun for me and very indicative of of what your work is about is this asking people to do this playlist is it's so honest because like a guy like me like I would love to come in here and play all this weird music obscure (laughs) like that's kind of what I'm known for is like these like you know like I helped discover you know Gary Wilson's music and Bruce Hack and all these like kind of obscure artists that and and when you put a playlist together of what's your most impactful music like you you really have to go to you know the real the big heavy hitters the ones that you know you can't pull out you know not those those artists aren't fantastic but it's like what really hit you hard and it's like it's it's the Beatles. It's you know. It's 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 huge huge artists like that 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 you wanna you wanna listen to forever. And one of those is the Gambler, Mr. Kenny Rogers. He's just a huge huge artist that you can't escape. And why I chose him is uh, when I was a kid, you know, growing up in the seventies and the eighties, like music wasn't wallpaper like it is now. It isn't everywhere. Like to, you. you it was very easy to be uh, walled off into your music choices. And uh, the music that I listened to when I was a kid was AM country radio, because that's what my mom and dad listened to. And I didn't, I really had no idea there was any other type of music, because that was the only station that was on in the, in the station wagon. And it's just interesting to me now to hear some of those songs, because uh, especially this song, this Kenny Rogers song, it's the melody is this is this really sweet and like the the beat is really upbeat and it sounds great and it's the darkest story <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's a story of a of a, a a vietnam veteran that comes back and he's paralyzed he's probably impotent he can't he can't uh you know function in his marriage and his life and his wife is going out every night and and leaving him alone to go you know, cruise the bars and, and he's contemplating, like it turns into like a murder ballad. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just thinking like, I was 10 years old and listening to this song, I was just, what is life about? <laughs> like, it was just like very uh, shocking, shocking. And it's just imprinted heavy to where I was, you know. It's forever disturbed you. <laughs> it, it has it. And I had completely forgotten about the song. And then I heard it somewhere recently, like it was on the radio or somewhere. And it all came flooding back. And I went, oh, my God. Yeah, that song is uh, there's different ways to impact. This one maybe was scarring <laughs> and impactful. But uh, 
it's a great song nonetheless. Well, let's take a listen to Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town yeah. by Kenny Rogers. You've painted up your lips and rolled and curled your tinted hair. Ruby, are you contemplating going out somewhere? That was Ruby, Don't Take Your Love to Town by Kenny Rogers. And that was Ross Harris's track that imprinted on him uh, as a 10-year-old. Yeah, I think it came out in 78 or 79, something like that. So, so. it was being played, it just come out, it was being played on the radio. Yeah, impressionable ears were, <laughs> <laughs> were uh, taking that in because that was a huge song. That was not an obscure song. Yeah. That's like, And you can see the vinyl I brought today, like it's Kenny Rogers' golden greatest hits or something. And that's definitely one of them. Well, the so. vinyl that you just heard the track off. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And do you remember? Yeah, I brought what, vinyl for all of my choices today. Yeah, the only one, yeah. <laughs> the, the first and only. Um, do you remember where you were driving to? I really remember driving. Um, well, I I I grew up as a a child actor, and so I had to drive to Los Angeles a lot from my hometown. It's like an hour drive, and so I was driving on the 101 freeway with my mom. Uh, probably going to some uh, interview for like a Rice Krispies commercial or something. And uh, I was supposed to jump out and be like, mm, these Rice Krispies are great. And meanwhile, I was just humming murder ballads in my, <laughs> <laughs> in my head. So, Did you yeah. understand at the time what that song was about? Um, yeah, I did. I, I, I remember understanding that. And it's, and it's interesting because... It's the same uh, timeline as the... I was in a movie called Airplane, and there's a lot of uh, uh, sexual double entendre in that film. And a lot of people always ask me, like, did I understand what a lot of the jokes were in the film? And I honestly didn't understand a lot of them. But a year later, when the movie came out, I understood all of it, and it all became crystal clear to me. And so, but I think it's good that I didn't understand it. Helped the acting a little bit. It's like you're exposed to a lot of weird shit, and you yeah. didn't really know. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> a functioning a, adult, semi-functioning adult person. So, yeah. You said that the music, you know, as you when you were growing up, was kind of confined to the car. Yeah. Why was that? Uh, I don't. I think my parents only really listened to music in the car. They didn't. I, we had a stereo. I don't think. I don't remember them ever really using it. I think when I was a teenager, I ended up just uh, kind of commandeering it and, and taking it over for my own devices. But they really just listened to the radio, and it was usually in the car. And were you close with your parents? Very close with my parents. Uh, still am. Um, my parents are in their uh, 80s now, and um, I'm actually a big uh, uh, part of their health care and, and dealing with um, the twilight years of their life. And so, yeah, my parents are, I see them every day almost if I'm not working. I'm, I'm right there with them. And, you know, just going back to the acting, how did you as a, so from six you were acting? Yes. Were you especially cute? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Was, I mean, I'm yes. not surprised. No, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised. But like, or was that something you were passionate about and and asking your parents to do? Or how did that come about? It actually was the opposite. I was actually kind of like a stereotypical, like freckle face, blue eyed, you know, American, you know, sandy haired kid, you know. So that part worked. But I was incredibly shy, incredibly shy, like hiding under, you know the kitchen table if someone came over shy and in my mom's logic the best way to get me to not be shy was to drive me to los angeles and have me go into a room with a bunch of strangers and talk to them (laughs) (laughs) and um, it was a trial by fire it didn't work at first and then i guess she broke me down it it ended up uh, working and and i was i actually became pretty successful at it and i thank her uh, for it because, um, you know, it, it's not right for everybody. Some people that might not have been the, the right thing to do, but it, it helped me a lot, yeah. Okay, so moving from kid to probably teenager um, and, you know, going back to your Orange Juice for the Years for Dub Lab uh, with Ross Harris, an incredible photographer, director, um, also under the moniker Ross Angeles, um was there a record that, you know, really had an impact on you when you were growing up? Well, um, obviously, I mean, it's pretty pretty cliche, but obviously when you discover the Beatles, you know, it's a game changer. And I remember discovering, I think, actually, I think my mom gave me a a collection of all the Beatles albums for Christmas one year. And I was like, wait a minute, what's this? <laughs> like, this isn't Kenny Rogers. And um, I just, it just opened my world sonically. And, and it, that kind of opened the floodgates for, for, for all music. I was like, oh, there's other music out there. And, and uh, how old were you? Uh, I was probably, I mean, I was probably like maybe like 12 or 13 or something. I mean, I was really a late bloomer with with uh, music, but then uh, once I got into it, it just like became just an obsession. And I got into everything. I wanted everything. But um, yeah, the Beatles was a, was a huge one. And uh, the track I picked today um, is, I think is a, it's a song that uh, I still listen to a lot now. And what I really like about it is that uh, sonically, it's kind of a, a, a template for, for modern music as far as like the beat sounds almost like a, a like Ringo sounds like he's been looped. Uh, and the, the bass line is very like uh, trebly and present and stuff. It almost sounds like, uh, you know, post-punk or, or um, you know, like a trip hop or something like that. And why I chose it, it's off Revolver and it's Taxman and why I chose it over Tomorrow Never Knows, which is actually like the more probably like earth shatteringly, you know, huge uh, song that, that really changed modern music. The reason why I like Taxman is it's a similar, like similar sonically like the beat, but the lyrics are way more down to earth. Like they're literally fighting the tax code. <laughs> Whereas tomorrow never knows is he's on, you know, he's floating downstream and, you know, he's going through this, uh, you know, this caravan in his mind, the psychedelic journey and stuff. And tax man's like in the same world, but like 
they're really just, it's almost like a, a punk rock song of like griping against the government, you know, in a sarcastic way. So, and that's what's the genius of the Beatles is, is that marriage of, you know, almost like a Monty Python and then, and, and inventing punk and inventing, you know, all these different uh, genres that, that are still uh, very uh, prescient to, to this day. Yeah, they weren't half bad. Yeah, they're all right. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason why people like them. <laughs> Let's have a listen to Taxman from Revolver. One, two, three, four. <laughs> One, two. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. Hey, this is Beauty Wolf, and you're listening to Orange Juice for the Years on Dub Lab. Uh, and today it is a super great pleasure to have, firstly, just yeah, one of my favorite people, um, but also one of my favorite um, artists, creatives, Ross Harris. Um, and we're listening to Ross's uh, sort of tour through his musical brain. Um, and that was the that was the album that really had an impact, which was Revolver, The Beatles, um, and specifically, we were talking about Taxman. Yeah, and after hearing it, I feel real solid about that choice. There's this, <laughs> it's like, all right, The Beatles, come on, you know. But then you put it on, and you're like, okay, this is good. This is a solid choice. I think with The Beatles, like particularly when you're looking at albums and albums having an impact, you know, I feel like they were one of the bands that just thought about a record as a story. Um, and with all of the components, the cover, you know, the track listings. Um, and for me, Abbey Road, like that, you know, is forever imprinted on my brain. Um, and just like for the number of songs they wrote, like the percentage that were great, you know, it's like they just had such a high not success rate, but just like such a high ratio of good songs to kind of, I don't even know if there were any terrible songs that they wrote. No. And then I think, well, it's interesting because uh, I think if you go and listen to a lot of like demos, some of the really great songs don't sound that great in the demo version, but you you really see that like that's what their their talent was is they were able to turn like simple songs into these just masterpieces by just really workshopping them and, and being craftsmen about them and the one thing that does come through when you hear the demos is like oh well this is a solid song as far as the structure mm -hmm. and 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 anybody could have made it an okay you know a decent song out of it and but they were able to elevate it to just these these masterpieces but so far also like looking at ross and and the kind of music that you know even just hearing the fir those first two songs um there definitely seems to be something that you like about this contrast between sort of surface and what's beneath um and with you know kenny rogers you have this upbeat track seemingly that's actually very dark when you listen to the story and you know with Taxman again it's sort of very upbeat but it's also very sarcastic yeah um well one thing I've always said is I I like I like people's hits like even obscure artists 
the thing that I really like, I, an artist that I've worked with and is a friend of mine is this uh, guy, Gary Wilson, and he put out this cool album in the late 70s called You Think You Really Know Me. And he's the definition of an avant-garde thinker. And he's very, uh, he's a huge, you know, John Cage fan and, and, and he's studied avant-garde jazz. And, but he made this album that's like, it's 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 like Steely Dan tried to make an avant-garde like John Cage type uh, you know pop record and it's just a really great record because it's like when a, when an outsider artist strives to make a pop hit like that's when things get interesting for me and i think that relates to a lot of people like to me like m- like Michael Jackson obviously you were seeing now he was a really weird guy and he made monster pop hits. And the reason why they're so good is because this weird guy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, was like trying to make like a huge like disco pop song. And that's why it's great. To cover up everything else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just like, and, and, and I mean, that's why Prince is good. He's a freaky, he was a freaky, freaky mm. man. And he tried to make these huge monster pop songs. And that's why they're great. That's why they're great. Because like, you know, for all intents and purposes, like he's an outsider artist. He's, you know, the definition of thinking outside the box, you know, Prince. And so that's why his music is is so catchy and good and we love it. And was there at that point when you were, you know, when your mom had given you this box set of the Beatles, was there a part of you that w- wanted to make music yourself? No, I was thinking about it. I actually was thinking about it on the ride down today. And so I started out as an actor and um, I, I feel like I've taken that approach to everything I've done since then. Like I got, I had a band and I was involved in music and like, I feel like I was an actor pretending like I was in a movie about being in a band or or being a music producer. And, and then I think I've extended that towards photography. Like I, I'm acting like I'm a photographer and then, um, it's almost like I'm a method actor. Like I, I, at first I'm like just pressing buttons because this is what it looks like a photographer does. And then eventually like I actually learn the technical aspects of it. And then I, I become a photographer. And I think like that extends to just humanity. I think everybody just whatever you do, you you at first pretend that I mean if you're a scientist you prefer you know you pretend you're a scientist and then eventually you become one. <laughs> so I think we're all on a on a certain level we're all acting and um and then you know, somehow you 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 uh you cross the divide and actually become become that thing. Well and it's interesting to know where that line is. Yeah, I really don't know. And I, I know I've crossed over it a few times, but I'm I can't quite exactly pinpoint where it was that 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 I, I crossed over. But I think it's good to actually I think that's a really lovely sort of sentiment because I think also where a lot of blocks come is when the that person starts to think, This is what I am, you know, rather than just like, Oh, you know, I'm I'm taking photos or I'm writing songs or I'm 
discovering cosmic background radiation. Right, right. And a lot of the time, a lot of that happens not by accident, but sort of by not trying. Um, and I think when people get too identified with the ego or the role itself, you know, I think that's when actually it doesn't come as, you know, it just it has a different quality to what's being created. Yeah, well, it can go horribly wrong. Um, right now we have someone acting like he's a president and it's not going well. So, you know, that can be bad. I would say don't act that you know how to do brain surgery. That's not a great idea. You know, you might really want to study that. So um, first, and then you can go act like you know how to do it. But I guess the first time you do anything, you have to, you know, you have to just uh, just pretend like you know what you're doing, whether you do or not. Yeah. So when you started then turning the camera on other people, um, was Coming Up Roses one of the first times you did that? Was that Had you made a lot of music videos before that? No. Well, I'd worked on a few. I, I worked on a lot of Beck's early music videos. Um, I did more photography and kind of like art direction with Beck. And then my friend Steve Hampt, who also ended up working with Elliot, um, he was uh, directing a lot of uh, Beck's early music videos, but I would work on them. And that's uh, how I actually ended up meeting and working with Elliot is the uh, Margaret Middleman, who was uh, um, Elliot's uh, manager and publisher, I believe, and was a publisher for Beck. Um, she had met me on a couple of, uh, you know, things that I'd done with Beck and seen some of the photography I did with them. And she just said, you know, maybe Ross would be a good fit with Elliot. So, yeah. And then, yeah, I, I pretended like I knew more about what I was doing. I was like, I have a camera. I'm a music video director. <laughs> Come down and we'll figure it out, you know. So it was really like us figuring it out together. But then it went from, you know, relatively like lo-fi, you know, all as a positive. But then um, I guess there was a shift for Miss Misery. Right. Well, I mean, with Miss Misery, that was really to Elliot's credit to where he was incredibly loyal. And then also he liked to work with people that he was comfortable with. He did not enjoy making music videos or having his photo taken really that much. And um, the peop he ended up, you know, the, the people that were most successful doing it with him were uh, his friends like... Uh, Autumn DeWild became a close friend of his and, and she took some incredible photos of him and, and did an, uh, a great video with him. And it was, that's where his comfort level was. And so uh, when he started to become more successful and he got asked to do a video uh, for Miss Misery, I literally ran into him at a bar in Los Angeles. I hadn't seen him in, in like probably a year. And we were catching up and he goes, uh, hey, I have to do a video for this song, for this movie. Um, you know, would you mind doing it? And it was, he was literally asking it in a manner like you would ask a friend if you, they could help you move a couch. <laughs> like it was really like, you know, he was felt like he was very, you know, putting a, a heavy burden on me that I had to do this task for him. But it, would I, I please, uh, uh, you know, help him out on, you know, with it. And uh, 
which is, just says a lot about Elliot. That's just the, the way he was. He was just a very genuine person. I remember you telling me that um, the first cut of the music video was very different from what it ended up being. Yeah, well, um, one of the things is I, it was for a movie, for this movie, Goodwill Hunting, and, and I said, oh, I don't really want to put, you know, scenes from the movie in and because uh, it seems weird, like you're singing this romantic song and then all of a sudden, like, Robin Williams is all hugging Matt Damon and then we're back to you. And it just seemed very schizophrenic, so I, I was not into that. And eventually he, like acquiesce and let them put that stuff in and then also he uh i had a lot of shots of him singing very earnestly looking into the camera and you know he wasn't super comfortable with him his image in that role and uh, he wanted me to take some of it out and i was like i told elliot i just said you're gonna have to accept the fact that you are a handsome stud of a man (laughs) and people want to see you and just go with it i mean you're just a beautiful guy. and But also didn't it end up being, like, because this was MTV in its heyday and it wasn't it, like, in some ways anti-MTV because it had oh. m- maybe, like, ten shots, you know. Oh, right, in that way, yeah. yeah. I guess there was a lot going on with that video. Um, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it was so, provocative on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, well, um, so now I, I edit almost, like, 99% of of what I do I'm the editor but back then uh, you went to an editing place and and, uh, you know worked with an editor and and cut you know on the tape and stuff because it was this very expensive process and I remember I I got there and the editor had uh, taken it upon himself you know before I'd gotten there to to do a cut of the video for me and he and he was very excited to show me and he showed me this cut of this video and it was yeah the high the heyday of MTV and so it was all these cuts of like it was it was very you know uh it was it was all over the place of like LAT here now he's over there and now there's flashes of light and then you know it was like that that zero attention span you know uh thing and I said he said, okay, well, do you, what do you think? And I said, well, um, I want to make some changes. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I need you to erase that. <laughs> and we're going to start with black <laughs> because I have a very specific way that this this uh, video is. And, and I think we ended up, yeah, by the end of the what I had laid out, there was probably 13, definitely under like 20 cuts in the entire video because I, I wanted it to play more of a narrative of him of him and and just let him do his thing i mean he's he's a he's he's a uh just a a a wonderful person to to be able to capture on camera and i just wanted it to just you know play it as it lays just uh have him have him do his thing so moving from elliot to space and um you get a good week, Ross, because this week it's the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Yeah, so like, <laughs> and, the, and that was, I was, I, I can say that I was alive for it. I was not, I was only a few months old, but uh, I was, I was there for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So not aware, <laughs> but there. So, yeah. Um, so with this, you know, 
I, with Robert Wilson, sent raw space into space, which was great fun. And I still can't really believe that we did that. Um, and so I have to ask, you know, all of my uh, OJ guests, what song would you send into space? Um, yeah, well, I chose obviously like the spaciest guy, you know, that you would you'd want to. This is who I would want to represent human race. I mean, that's basically what you're asking. And for me, that's David Bowie. And for me, that's Starman. And um, also that song's just a song that's just that's just imprinted you know, heavily with me. It's something I listen to a lot as, uh, you know, as a young adult. And and I have some good friends that aren't with me anymore that uh, the song reminds me of because we, we sang it together a lot. And it's just a very emotional song for me. So personally, it strikes a chord. And then also, I just think David Bowie is just a, just a really great representative of... Uh, of uh, the Earth. So far, Bowie has been sent three times out yeah. of out of seven. <laughs> so yeah. he's pretty much he is pretty much the guy um, who goes into space. You know. So let let's take a listen to Starman. Didn't know what time it was. The lights were low. Oh, oh, oh. I leaned back on my radio. Oh, oh, oh. Some cat was. That was Starman, David Bowie, and that was the track that Ross Harris wanted to send into space for Orange Juice for the years on Dub Lab. I, we got to send the entire album into space. I mean, just the entire Ziggy Stardust record needs to go into space. I think I agree with that. Yeah. Except I did send Bowie and Tina Turner doing um, Tonight. Which well, space space <laughs> is vast. Yeah, it is vast. It is. I feel like Bowie. Yeah, I kind of just think you know, we just if you could distill, if you could just put his essence in a bottle, you uh, know, maybe like so, there'd be some way of converting his ashes. Oh, and, you know. send let's dance yeah. into space. It's we can send it all into space, <laughs> but definitely this album. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to chat about, and we're we're eight minutes away from. I'm happy it's eight minutes, but we're eight minutes away from um, closing, and we still have your death, and oh, you know, yeah. and and lots of other things to yeah. cover. Um, so, you know, just very quickly, um, I think also I just want to mention that, like, in addition to sort of capturing, you know, some of LA's greatest indie artists and you know some of my favorite artists you've also really told stories of unlikely heroes um you know with your film drummer wanted and uh, hands free and um so are there any other heroes that that you haven't covered in some of your musical choices um people that really inspire you um heroes that that I would like to film or just in general that I I don't know like you know <laughs> like this guy <laughs> Oh yeah well yeah I mean I I wish I could have met Jim Henson and and worked with him and obviously like I I mentioned before Prince and and people like that Actually I got to meet Prince so uh that was that was really cool How um, did that exchange go I, we were staying at the same hotel in France um, when I was a teenager. I was working on a film, and, and he was making Under the Cherry Moon, and, and he was there in the same hotel, and he threw, like, a party on the roof of the hotel, and, and I snuck into it. 
Did you dance with him? Uh, not directly with him, <laughs> <laughs> but I would definitely dance. Yeah, for sure. In yeah. his proximity. In his, yeah. In his, yeah. <laughs> Within his purview of, yeah. So. Um, and so, you but know. this next artist that I want to have his song play at my funeral, I would love. I mean, obviously, I would just. I had a friend work with him recently, mm. and I just completely lost my mind. I was like, "You have any idea that you just worked with John Prine?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, I know. I work. Yes, I worked with him. Yes, I do have an idea." And so, um, yeah, he's a he's a you know. To me, he's one of America's greatest songwriters. And uh, I chose this song to be uh, played at my funeral because it's just like, it's it's meaningful, but yet it's also very uh, upbeat and, and a little bit sarcastic and fun. I want to go out on a high note for sure. Which John Prine track? It's called Please Don't Bury Me. Let's take a listen. Yeah, let's listen to it. Woke up this morning. Put on my slippers I walked in the kitchen And died And oh what a feeling When my soul went through the ceiling And on up into heaven I did ride You're listening to Please Don't Bury Me by John Prine And that was Ross Angeles And Ross Harris's um, choice of what he would like to be played at his memorial Yeah it's I mean, very sad, but very, but also amusing. You can't have a bad time. To that song. <laughs> no, <laughs> You're just gonna have a good time, and it's just really great. It's just like I know it's also my daughter Maya. It's uh, she really liked that song when she was a kid, and I, I think she really loved that the the line. Uh, Throw my my brain in a hurricane. I like how quick, <laughs> quickly he gets into it. Yeah, he dies like in the first like few seconds yeah. of the song. So. <laughs> It's very economical uh, songwriter. So st- kind of strange question and potentially impossible to answer, but, um, you know, you've done so many things and it's kind of impossible because it's like five careers running simultaneously alongside one another. Um, but is there a moment of your life so far that ha- has encapsulated what it's all about? Um, yeah, I mean, not really so much in, in my work. I, I feel like, uh, to me, what it's all about is just, to you know, just, uh, friendships and, and family and, and things like right now I've been doing some caretaking with my, my dad and, and it's, he, he's expressed that, you know, like he really appreciates, you know, the time that I've put into, to caring for him and like, that's something that's super important to me. And then that's something that I just try to like imbue into the work. I just try to do, you know, things that are, that are positive and, um, you know, hopeful and, uh, you know, hopefully people kind of get a great message out of it of like to, you know, to care about each other. That's what we're here to do. And I know, cause we're just gonna, we'll be wrapping up in just a minute. I know you chose, um, Mac DeMarco's Salad Days as a record you'd like to pass on to your kids. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting because I wanted to pick something that's contemporary because I think like that that's something you should you know. To me, like I want to be really hopeful about my my kids' generation. And when I first heard Mac DeMarco, I was just like, 
really, really just was like, okay, cool. Like this next generation, like they get it. They're really great. And, and, uh, this is uh, a really great advice song too. So this is, uh, this is for you, Maya and Banjo. I love you guys. So just before we we hear that, um, and Ross, thanks so much for joining oh, me today. It's, my, it's, it's my so honor. wonderful, and it could have been two hours. Um, what do you think, uh, what is the thread that connects all of those choices, all of your orange juice for the years? Um, creativity and positivity and sense of humor. I think like all of them kind of had a a little bit of a sense of humor and that's something we really need right now <laughs> because life's been really challenging for a lot of people and I mean not that it hasn't been but it's just like I can really feel it now that people are struggling and and we gotta stay positive and keep that sense of humor going thank you again oh my pleasure thank you and let's take a listen to let her go oh. 